Hi, everybody. My name is Ida. I am a compulsive breather, and I'm really glad to be here tonight. I know I sound sick, but I'm not. I'm using an inhaler um, every day, and it plays havoc with my vocal cords. So I just thought, oh, I hope it holds up for the 20 minutes. Um, I took step one. I admitted I was powerless over food, and my life was unmanageable. And I heard somebody uh, recently who said that instead of saying unmanageable, she said her life was insufferable. And, boy, that really struck me because there were a great – my life was perfectly manageable except for my food. I had a job. I was a teacher. I paid my rent. Uh, You know, I paid my car bills, you know, and everything like that. I was not in debt, uh, but uh, I was 225 pounds on April 16, 1975, and uh, I was I was eating uh, uncontrollably. I did most of my grocery shopping at the liquor store, so you can imagine what food I was buying. Uh, in 75, you couldn't find a piece of fresh fruit in the liquor store if your life depended on it. So. Uh, And I started abstaining on April 17, 1975, and I've been abstinent ever since. I had plenty of relapses before program, but I haven't had any since. And so why is that? Well, the OA 12 and 12 tells me um, on page 14 in step two, it says, before we join the OA fellowship, our prayers for help might have gone unanswered simply because we were never meant to face this disease in isolation. We were meant to open up so that we might learn to receive love and to truly love. When I was uh, going through the literature today and read that, I thought, isn't that interesting? You know, the, the, the secret to love and to truly love others. Who would have thought? Uh, well, I thought I, it would be in the diet, you know, it, it's somewhere in the food. You know, if I had the perfect food plan, uh, I, I could do it, you know. Uh, <clears throat> well, I do know the perfect food plan for me, and I know the perfect per- food plan for you, and that is the one you can do. Um, but that's all I know about what, what your food plan should look like. But I was uh, thoroughly isolated, and um, and I and I didn't love anybody. I true, I didn't love anybody, and and I felt totally unlovable because I felt that I was um, irredeemably evil on the inside, and uh, and it took a long time in this program for me to acknowledge that. I am loved, and that uh, my nature is good, not evil. So, and then it tells on on page fifteen more about you know why why the difference before and after. It says uh, in the uh, second step promises on page fifteen at the bottom of the chapter. This willingness to act on faith then was the key to step two. It was the beginning of the healing process and relief from the food compulsion. We began to see stability in our unbalanced lives. 
We responded to the love we had been shown in OA by taking action and working the steps. The result was a new faith in ourselves, in others, and in the power of that love. We had begun to develop a new relationship with a power greater than ourselves, and we were ready to move ahead with our program of recovery. There's that love again, that word again. Yes. And I promise you, this is my last, the last thing I'm going to read <laughs> to you from, uh, well, maybe. But uh, just one more thing. In Tradition 1, it says, Our desire to live free of compulsive eating has forced us to change these attitudes, the ones that they talk about in the previous paragraph. Some of us felt like failures whenever we had to ask for help from anyone other than ourselves. Our desire to live free of compulsive eating has forced us to change these attitudes. Recovery began for most of us when we got out of isolation and into an OA group. Here we discovered we were not alone. As we opened our hearts to other OA members, we found acceptance, a sense of belonging, and unity with other compulsive readers that satisfied us in ways food never could. And isn't that the truth? I was trying to do it alone, and I was trying to do it without love in my life. And I got into Ovidus Anonymous, and I, I was not alone, and I found love. And I found that I could actually give love. So on April 16th, uh, I came home from school. I, I'm sure I stopped at the liquor store and bought my night of binge. And I was devastated. I was, you know, 225 pounds. I am 100 pounder. My top weight was 240. I have been passing for normal now for 47 years. Uh, I am thin. Some people think too thin, but that doesn't matter because that's what they think. And I, um, you know, I was just at my bottom. My life, I I hit that level of pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization that is absolutely essential for recovery. And I called the operator and I asked her for the phone number of Overeaters Anonymous and she gave me the phone number for World Service, which was in Los Angeles at the time. I live um, in a part of Los Angeles. And uh, there was no answer because it was after hours. And uh, I got up the next morning and I ate an aspirin at breakfast. And then I packed a lunch that was a typical lunch for a, a weight loss group at the time. And I took it to school and I was eating this lunch and somebody else there in the cafeteria recognized the lunch because she had done the same weight loss group. And 
teaching wasn't supposed to be there because she was a kindergarten teacher and we were on completely different schedules. And uh, she got up and left and then she came back and sat down next to me and she looked at me and she said, why don't you try over this environment? So my phone call to OA was answered in person about 17 after 17 hours after I made it, but it was answered. And I went to my first meeting that following Sunday, in part because I didn't want to tell her on Monday that I hadn't been to a meeting, but also because you know I had I had uh, given up. And I believe that uh, when I climbed the stairs to my first and walked into the arms of my first OA hug, I took steps one, two, and three. And uh, it took me a while to really open up to the group. I didn't get any phone numbers and whatever, but I, I kept them in my brain. I kept overeaters anonymous. I kept what I heard at the meetings in my brain all the time, all the time. And I can I can say pretty well that, you know, for the past 48 years, I've been with overuse anonymous. And that's fine. Uh, some people say, well, you know, you're just using OA as a crutch. And I go, oh, hell yes, I'd rather walk with a crutch than not at all. I learned from the very beginning that I had to abstain. And uh, I had a a sponsor uh, for about a year. I got her after five months in program and I lost 50 pounds. So we didn't play with my food because my food was just fine. And it was obviously working for me and she, she didn't care what I was eating as long as I was abstaining. But she told me some things about abstinence. And I have them written down in a book that, where I keep uh, quotes that I've heard that I really enjoy. And she said, you don't have to be perfect. You just can't pretend that you are. Now, she wasn't just talking about food. Or she may not have been talking about food at all, but um, that's what I hear. I don't have to be perfect, but I, and I can't, but I can't pretend that I am. And uh, so uh, my rule of thumb is if I won't eat it in front of you, then maybe I shouldn't eat it at all. And that's a good rule of thumb for me, making decisions about food. And then a few years ago, uh, one of my sponsees said to me after I had complained about not being perfect, I'm, I'm assuming I was joking, but she said to me, You don't have to be perfect to be wonderful. My abstinence has not been perfect, but my God, it's been wonderful. (laughs) It it has been absolutely wonderful. I am in a position where I enjoy what I'm eating. I love my food. I have three parties a day, and that is uh, the way it goes. Um, and I'm, I'm also blessed by the fact that um, I do eat what I want. But, see, I had to learn to want what was right and what was good for me. And, and that has happened to me. 
I uh, don't eat uh, high sugar items, uh, not because they're bad. I think food is morally neutral. I don't believe in abstinent food. I believe in abstinent meals. But I don't want that. I don't want it anymore. And that is such a relief. Um, My first sponsor told me, what's going on in your life has nothing to do with what you put in your mouth. And when the fourth edition of the big book came out, I was absolutely thrilled with the story. Uh, He lived only to drink, because on page 450 it says, you know, his drinking had nothing to do with the ups and downs of living. Sobriety must live a life of its own. And that's what my first sponsor told me about abstinence. Abstinence must live a life of its own. And I have had a lot happen to me in 48 years. You can't live 48 years without having a lot happen to you. Um, but uh, but the, the most difficult time I had with food was almost 40 years ago when my mother died. I had 10 years of abstinence at the time. And uh, I made some decisions with food that were, you know, dicey. Uh, I continued to weigh and measure my food, which I still do to this day. But um, I was making food choices that when uh, I was, I was, I was um, eating um, emotionally within my abstinence. And uh, um, I, but what happened was I learned from those mistakes. I learned from what happened with my mother. And when my five brothers and sisters died, I didn't make those mistakes again. And when my husband died, I did not make those mistakes again. And last year when somebody that I I had sponsored for 30 years, I did not make those mistakes again. I learned from them. And what I learned is that I have to be able to bend without... You know, there is a joke. Um, you know, how do you get to be a, a long timer or an old timer? You don't eat and don't die. Well, I add, and you learn to sit with your mistakes. And you learn from them. And I learned from mine. I can say that I've never done anything so horrendous with food that I have felt I needed to punish myself by starting over. Um, that just hasn't happened. Um, About food, I ask myself, uh, does it make me hungry or does it fill me up? And, you know, I know people have their own terms for foods they don't eat, but I I don't have that list. Although there's a lot of foods I don't eat, I don't have that list. But the bottom line is, does it make me hungry? The gentle reminder, five more minutes. Oh, great. Thank you. I needed that reminder because I'm a motor mouth. <laughs> and uh, I, um, I'll i just give you a quickie. A white rice makes me hungry. Brown rice fills me up. So I, uh, I've i had major changes in my food plan over the years. And recently, I, I've, I've had, for health reasons, and because about seven years or so ago, I became a, a, a vegetarian. And I, and I made changes in my food for those health reasons. 
because I was able to do that because I was abstinent already. And I had learned how to do that in OA. Um, oh, uh, in uh, step three in the OA 12 and 12, uh, read that and take note of how much uh, that chapter talks about food. And at first I laughed when I read it, uh, but I, it's one of my favorite chapters um, in the book, step three and step eight or phenomenal chapters. But then I realized, yes, we have to be convinced that food is not food is not a benevolent higher power. And my definition of a higher power is whatever you turn to when you're in trouble with my so that means I came into program with food as my higher power. And now my higher power is the process of the twelve steps because that's what I do. I um, I'm, I have so much to say, and I have almost no time left. But I can, I will, I will give my meditation tips. <laughs> I um, the big thing about step eleven is that it only took me thirty eight years to start doing it, and I started meditating on a daily basis about uh, nine years ago. Yeah, somewhere you know, in 2014, I started main, uh, started uh, uh, meditating on a daily basis. And the biggest argument in favor of doing step 11 is that it makes all the other steps easier. It got me through so much. When my husband was dying, when he was sick with cancer and dementia, uh, my meditation uh, practice was core to my survival. A couple weeks ago, I did my third five-day silent meditation retreat. And before you're impressed with that, you should read my mind that what I was doing during that those five days. But I have found that, uh, yeah, sometimes I have to write, sometimes I have to talk, but sometimes I have to just be quiet to know what's going on. And uh, I I just can't say enough about uh, meditation. I don't pray because I do not have a God to pray to, but my meditation um, has, uh, I, d- I wish I had done it earlier, but, you know, wishing a useless use of energy. Um, but I, I can't tell you how, how much it has improved my life just to be quiet and be with me. And as one of my favorite teachers says, um, you know, you are worse visiting yourself. You are worth it. And uh, that should just about take up my time. So I'm going to have to stop there. And I want to thank all of you for um, being here and listening to me. Your abstinence matters to me tremendously. And uh, I wish you continuous abstinence and continuous recovery. My phone number is area code 310 Three four seven one five zero five. That's Pacific Time. Call or text. And once again, thank you very much. I pass.